Welcome to Dear Prudence. I'm your Prudence, Janae Desmond-Harris. And today, we're bringing you an amazing episode from Slate's Outward podcast. In this episode, co-hosts Brian Lauder and Jules Jill Peterson are joined by advice expert and former Prudy, Danny Lavery, to talk through some tough relationship problems from a queer perspective. You won't be surprised that they gave some really great advice. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Until then, enjoy your holiday and the show. Welcome to Outward, the podcast from Slate, where the queers, we are the only ones here. I'm Ryan Lauder, an editor at Slate, and I just want everyone to know that I am winning gay gifting this year because I got someone special in my life, a set of Jackie Kennedy paper dolls. Jules, have you ever heard of a gayer present than that? No, and also now I'm jealous that I presume that person is not me. Um, No, I'm sorry to say. (laughs) I didn't know that you were a Jackie O fan. Um, well, do you know what podcast we're on right now? (laughs) (laughs) I am. Um, I'm Jules Gill Peterson. And, you know, it's been a while since I've been compared to Jackie O herself. Mm. But you know, it does happen from time to time. (laughs) (laughs) As it should, as it should. So today, we're trying something that we've really been wanting to do forever and sort of done off and on in the past. But now with our weekly episode schedule, we can really do it regularly and properly, and that is queer advice. Some of you may know that I actually edit a lot of advice at Slate. It's part of my many jobs here. And so advice is just really my thing. It's really in my heart. And so I'm happy to have us uh, do it with a special LGBTQ focus here on Outward. Jules and I are, of course, ready with our opinions and advice for you. But we also wanted to bring in a special expert as well. And that is Danny Lavery. Longtime Slate fans will remember that Danny was Prudy from 2016 to 2021, and also recently a big mood, little mood. Uh, And we were just so excited to have Danny on the show. How's it going? Oh, God. <laughs> expansion pack, assassination, expansion Ex- assassin- pack? Yeah, grassy, grassy and all expansion pack. <laughs> oh Haven't these paper dolls been through enough? Oh, oh my, my God. God. <laughs> uh, I will look into that. I, I should add that to my, to my gift bag for my friend. <laughs> I'm hearing the, like, theme music from the Natalie Portman film, that, like, uh, you know, vertigo um, violin kind of moment. Woo! That's yeah. heady. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Um. Exactly. I know, clearly, clearly. Well, Danny, we've been lucky enough to have you grace the pod before um, with your wonderful advice. But can you kind of catch us and listeners up on on your approach to queer advice in particular? I mean, what to you distinguishes that genre? What mm. what should we keep in mind too as we uh, try and dress up our loudmouth opinions as <laughs> a helpful counsel? Yeah, you know, I do obviously uh, have a lot of thoughts about uh, queer advice, and I think one of the things that I, I want to be sure to bear in mind today is that uh, oftentimes it sort of presupposes that the queer person writing in is 
you know, really unhappy within a straight mm. nuclear family context mm. and needs sort of help either deciding, are they being so mean to me that I need to stop talking to them and change my life? Or uh, do I need to continue like putting up with some sort of underlying like queer phobic behavior? And obviously that is a common problem. That's not as though that doesn't happen quite often. But I, I think it's also really important and meaningful to bear in mind that there are, uh, you know, queer parents and queer people who have like an extended family network that is supportive mm-hmm. and where dealing with sort of like blatant homo or transphobia is not part of their like daily experience. So it's not always, you know, young adults in a sort of uh, like downtrodden experience that there are a number of different problems that queer people can have at the holidays. That's not just always like, oh, my grandpa is being mean or uh-huh. oh, my mom is being undermining. And so I think it is something that tends to you know, look at a number of different options that might be available to you mm. um, just because you you have in some ways both more and fewer options than than others might. Um, I don't know if that's like a grand uh, sort of thematic approach, but I think that's sort of what's on my mind as I'm thinking about it today. No, I love that. Queer as in fewer and yet also more options at the same time. There's a delightful riddle in there for us to unpack. And, you know, speaking of a wide array of advice that queer people can ask for and give, uh, listeners, we really are looking forward to doing this more often, more regularly. So if you're listening and you realize you have a question that you'd like to ask for a future advice episode, let us know at outwardpodcast at slate.com. And, you know, we'd particularly, as always, love to hear that in voice memo form. It's always exciting, but, you know, email, email is great too. Since I'm a Capricorn, I'd love to give advice <laughs> on careers, uh-huh. um, raising an army and taking over the world, yes. um, or, you know, the farthest reaches of outer space exploration. <laughs> As a Virgo, I'd love to help you organize your closets, I guess, or something like that. Uh, <laughs> sure. Diversity of advice. Diversity like of advice. Uh, <laughs> also, like, you know, we love a low stakes question sometimes. It's fine to, mm. to send us the heavy stuff. We're, we're here for that. But love a good, funny question or, or low stakes question. Nothing is is, uh, too unimportant to to submit. All right. Well, we will be back with our first set of questions after uh, a break. All right. We are back and we're going to dive into our first question for today. This comes to us from I Still Care But. About a year ago, I asked my wife for a divorce. We got married about a decade ago when same-sex marriage became legal in a nearby jurisdiction, but we had been together 20 years. The reason I asked for a divorce was that I developed feelings for someone else and I realized I had been unhappy for a long time. When I left, I continued to provide financially for my wife. We live in a state that requires a long separation period before divorce, and we are still several months away from being able to file. I know that she will struggle greatly without my help, but the truth is that this is one of the reasons I needed to end the marriage. She refuses to take any responsibility, and I feel like I'm drowning trying to keep up two households. I don't want her to suffer, but I don't think I can keep going, <clears throat> but I don't think I can keep doing this once we are divorced. How do I reconcile myself with knowing that she's likely going to be unable to live to how she's accustomed and she'll be miserable? And again, that's from I Still Care, but. I do want to say before we dive into this, this one, uh, listeners may recognize this from a pretty column. Um, Janae did do it a couple of weeks ago, but we thought it could bear a little more queer focused discussion. So that's why we brought it in. What do we think, y'all? 
This one seems tough. <laughs> yeah, to me, when I was listening to this, my thought was, this seems like a really good question for your lawyer. Mm. And there's, as is often the case, it seems like this letter writer is sort of hoping money will do something emotional, which is, right, uh, right. you know, partly, you know, uh, relieve my wife's suffering and partly make her think more well of me than she might otherwise. and. Not that those are necessarily or inherently bad goals, just that they're pretty open-ended. And I'm not sure that what number might sound reasonable to you would also sound reasonable to her. And it's, it's just, to me, it seems really easy that you could go with a really high number in the hopes of this will be the amount of money that makes things end nicely between us. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't do that. And then you will both be out of a significant amount of money and frustrated. Um, and so it just seems to me like find out from your lawyer what seems likely in terms of alimony that you might be needing to award and just do that rather than again, because there's that mixture too of both like, I don't want her to be unhappy and I want her to take responsibility and I want her to stop depending upon me financially. Right. I, I th to me, this feels a little bit like I don't want to be mean. And it's like, you can't divorce someone and not be and, mean and happy at the same time. Like you are leaving her. Yeah. I agree. As someone who has been divorced and has gone through the kind of shock of that experience in, in somewhat parallel terms, I mean, I think part of what is so weird about that feeling is that like, okay, the marriage is this legal contract. And so it has this prescribed process for dissolution. And that ends up feeling so alienating because it's like, literally the intrusion of the state mm -hmm. into a process of disillusion. And it's, it's, it's easy to get hung up on that in some ways and be like, well, this like abstract third party process, like doesn't feel tailored to my feelings, or this doesn't feel like justice or like that process doesn't like accord with, you know, my personal emotional accounting of, of this relationship and my sense of responsibility for this and my sense of, you know, the other person's responsibility. And like, that is all kind of true intellectually and like true emotionally, but then ultimately like <laughs> the law is, the law is, is there and it like is the process and it feels like at some point the kind of like proverbial bandaid ripping is just sort of being like, nonetheless, yeah. like this is how you divorce by divorcing. And so unfortunately, like you can put it off, but that doesn't make that part go away. And I don't know, like I, I mean, it's totally fine to feel really ambivalent or even very resentful about that because also like the, the process of divorce may very well not make the other person take responsibility, you know, right. in that, um, it may be very unsatisfying, uh, but, but you know, like, it doesn't really, I don't know. I mean, that's, as that sounds too heartless. I was going to say, it doesn't matter. There's only one way to do it. But like, that's something someone said to me at a certain important point in my life. And I was like, you know what? You're right. Like, whatever I think, I can't change the state's divorce law. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so like, I'm going to have to choose. And I can't, you know, and it's like, it's supposed to mediate between two people. But I, I do think like paying a lawyer to also be that, um, that kind of boring third party who's just like, I mean, like, it seems like to be like good divorce lawyers and their staff are sort of well trained to kind of like play this role with you. And mm. they probably figure that out when they're getting to know you where they're just like, look, I'm sorry you're going through this. 
you it's really intense for you we've seen many divorces this is how it works this is our (laughs) advice that let's break it down and be kind of cold and calculating about it because then we can get something done and then on the other end of it you know you get to to process emotionally and and you know move on with your life but yeah it just sort of feels like an unfortunate but also very practical kind of sticking i'm wary of that sounding like saying like totally just dissociate all your feelings (laughs) from the cold hard legal process but like at least at least that gets somewhere yeah no i think you're right i mean i think what i sense here is on the part of the letter writer is a lot of um care for this for this person still um if not maybe not love anymore but certainly care and concern and maybe kind of a a sort of queer desire to like handle separation a separating relationship more gently or or with more Mm. you know sort of resisting that that maybe straight idea of sort of cutting everybody off and never speaking again but i think what what's true here is that this person you know has said that they need to leave this marriage, right? They know that. And I think they're going to have to sort of, like you said, rip the bandaid off, like really cut, cut ties for a while so that they can stop feeling responsible for this person. Um, because you're never going to, you're never going to be able to kind of heal and figure out what's next if you are, you know, uh, engaged with caring for them forever. Um, and I, I, I sort of respect the, you know, the impulse to do that, especially when they, when it sounds like there's been like a dependent style to their relationship. But, um, but here I think, I think you got to be a little more, um, you know, maybe not ruthless, but, but cold about it. Um, because, she, you know, she, she is an adult, the, the wife is an adult and she's going to have to figure out how to live. She probably won't implode. Like she'll do what she has to do, but only when she has to do it. And you can't control that anyway. It's up to her. So all you can do is sort of leave the situation as, as gracefully as you can and leave, right, find an amount of money that, that feels fair. If it's a financial question of support, I don't know that this is the kind of thing that you can sort of gently transition into some sort of friendship or whatever. Um, it just doesn't feel like that's going to work. Mm. it's hard to queer divorce yeah yeah i don't know if it's possible right yeah and i think part of the reason that you know not to say divorce laws are all excellent or like what a good thing that the state is getting involved but at least with the clarity of like whatever precedent you've set in terms of supporting her over the last several months as well as the previous 10 years of your marriage um one of the reasons that you know, a court might potentially set something like alimony is to avoid a situation where you give someone a ton of money because you're feeling worried about them. Mm-hmm. And then when you get sick of it, you cut it off so that somebody else isn't dependent on just one individual person's feelings towards them. It's sort of looking at the overall, well, has this, you know, has this person been dependent on you for their income for the last right. decade? Okay. Well, then in that case, it would not be fair to just cut that off at a moment's notice. So I think again, that's where you're going to find the most solid ground is just fulfill your legal obligations rather than trying to set an amount of money in terms of trying to get an emotional outcome. Uh, and then also to just really do whatever you need to do on your end to make sure that you let go of the desire to get her to take responsibility. I think especially if you're divorcing someone, you are letting go of the hope that you can influence the way that their life goes in the future. That's part of why you're getting divorced. And so you might think, taking responsibility should look like the following, you know, three or four actions and the following mental status. She might totally disagree. She might never take responsibility in the way that you think she should. And 
uh, you'll just need to let go of that completely from this process. Your goal should just be to uh, minimize the pain of the divorce and be as clear and upfront about your legal and financial obligations to her as you can, and then to actually separate. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not trying to project this onto the letter writer at all, but just thinking more broadly about what a strange concept like queer divorce is, you know, all these years after the legalization of same-sex marriage. I'm I'm not sure this is a queer-specific feeling, but I could see how there's that kind of um, moment of like, wait, aren't we aren't we better than than the straights? Can't we do this better? And it's like, no. And and like one of the I think one of the things that's hard to wrap your head around just sucks is that like divorce doesn't resolve the problems in a relationship. It's not a resolution. (laughs) It's a dissolution. Um, And like that's good, but like that may just actually just feel horrible. And it may actually not at all in any way address any of the problems that led to the divorce. Like emotionally, it does not like provide closure necessarily. um, But that doesn't mean it's not important. And it doesn't mean that like on the other side of what's really hard and crappy, there won't be a lot better for for our letter writer and and probably also for the other for for the spouse. And like, I don't know, I guess I just kind of want to say like, this part sucks. <laughs> it's just going to suck. Like it's not going to feel good. Um, but it's okay. <laughs> and, yeah. and I promise it also like will feel different and like eventually we'll feel better on the other side, but this, this part just sucks and it's okay to go into it being like, this won't be fun. This won't feel good. I'm not going to enjoy it. Um, but nevertheless, that's what has to happen. Well, I think that is a great place to leave that letter. Let's go on to the next one. So for for our second question, we're dipping our toes into everyone's favorite <laughs> subreddit, r slash relationship advice. This one has the particular subject line, my 24 female roommate, 23 non-binary, talks about my sexuality unprompted, making me feel like I had to out myself. Should I address it? I, 24 female, have a housemate, 23 a non-binary, I'll call them C, who I get along fine with. However, they like to talk a lot about their and others' queerness. They bring it into almost every conversation. For example, if I'm sharing a seat with another female friend, C will go, aw, that's so gay. It's not derogatory in any way at all. It more feels like making up for an upbringing where their own sexuality was invalidated. However, I've had a problem with this come up and I can't tell if I'm being too sensitive and if or how I should address it. I've known I'm bisexual for 10 years, but it's something I've kept to myself and isn't a big part of my identity and what I talk about. My housemates didn't know about it. A few times, C has made a comment like, the gays outnumber the straights, or some straight people are good, (laughs) clearly referring to me as being straight. This bothers me for two reasons. C is talking about my sexual orientation completely unprompted. Why does this have to be a topic of discussion? Why does C feel the need to label other people's sexuality in any random situation? I am not straight, I am bi. And frequently having someone decide to label me as straight unprompted makes me feel like I have to choose between letting someone tell everyone that I'm in a box, I don't belong in, or outing myself. Eventually, I got annoyed and made it clear that I'm bi, but I feel I was kind of forced into that position and I feel a bit upset about it. So now I'm wondering, if I should address it with C, or if I should just let it go. If I do address it, what should I say? (laughs) So, one thing that leaps out to me is 
that line about how being bisexual isn't a big part of my mm-hmm. identity. Yes, me too. Yeah. Because it seems like maybe the tension here is if that were really the case, I don't think it would really bother you. It would just be sort of like, oh, yeah, my roommate assumes that I'm straight and like sometimes makes some dumb jokes. No big deal. And so I think maybe part of the tension here is there it's making the letter writer or the poster kind of realize I actually do want it to be a slightly bigger mm-hmm. deal, but I also want to not talk about it. And that's not really possible. And so the tension is like, how do I get what I want without asking for it or naming it or acknowledging that it's important to me? And I think the answer to that is you got to pick one. Fortunately, you know, at the end of the letter, we hear that uh, that they have come out, that, that our poster has has said that they're bisexual. So I think, you know, half half of this is solved insofar as you're now on the record, like as, as bi. Uh, and what remains to be seen is that then does your housemate start treating you like, you know, part of the club and, and stop with these jokes or not? Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to be slightly less generous for a moment, <laughs> not because I'm mad at this stranger or anything, but I, I think there's, I, I I see a fault of generic um GBTQ umbrella, personal identity discourse world that we kind of live in right now, and its sense of what are best practices, because I don't think they are best practices. And I think they lead to confrontations like this, which is to say, like, okay, you the the poster has this sense that you know uh, their bisexuality is something private that they can choose to disclose or not, um, and that is probably quite true. And it would be because they generally are never at risk of being outed or suffering any particular material consequences for that private identification. Um, you know, their roommate, you know, don't know enough about them, you know, not getting their point of view on this, but obviously by being so out is willing to embrace a certain degree of, you know, visibility or outness. But the point is, like, the, the LGBT umbrella does not necessarily tell us a lot about, like, the just very uneven experiences some people have with mm-hmm. the consequences for who they are, right? Yeah. And yeah. they're, you know, I think something that often feels like a kind of, um, I don't know, a particular animus towards bisexuality. Sometimes it is. Um, and then in, in other, in other moments, it, it is like this confrontation about different privileges around being able to enjoy a privatized sexuality, which is a sort of heteronormative <laughs> relationship or just like a middle class, like relatively secure relationship to identity is something that could be quite nice. And that, you know, like that's, that's great. Uh, not, not everyone in the proverbial community, you know, gets to enjoy that. This sometimes can manifest in these sort of interpersonal confrontations and and i feel like you know that that's no one's particular fault but it's like an it's a great moment to just like sit with that a little bit um and think about sort of well yeah like in your own home i don't know how do you feel about that and actually these kinds of um experiences of feeling inadvertently talked about right and feeling uncomfortable by that are probably pretty instructive to just like sort of think about, wow, yeah, I wonder how like other (laughs) queer and trans people feel if that happens constantly or in much more intense ways with potential like real, like real consequences in their lives about like their jobs and their housing and their employment, right? Um, Anyways, none of that is to, I don't mean to badger the poster at all, but I just think these are always really like 
God, I sound like such a professor, but these are like really teachable <laughs> moments, you know, just to think about how we're sort of being led to imagine that like identity really is just this sort of private attribute that then like sometimes causes interpersonal strife. And like it does do that, but that's often a kind of surrogate, I think, for a much bigger set of questions that really a roommate relationship isn't designed to resolve, but that like can just give us a chance to reflect on and and think about what solidarity might look like across differences, say bisexual to. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And certainly Mm. like, I could imagine like what the letter writer describes is like somewhat annoying. Like if you're sharing a seat with somebody and somebody else is always saying, Oh, that's gay. Like depending on how otherwise charming that person (laughs) is, that could either be like slightly annoying to quite annoying. (laughs) Right. (laughs) But I always like to dig underneath that sort of look what you made me do sentiment that I do see here in this post. And it's sort of like, if it bothered you that your roommate would sometimes say things like the gays outnumber the straights or some straight people are good, did you have any other way of addressing that aside from coming out? And I think the answer to that is yes. You could have said something like, I know that you're just being lighthearted, but I actually don't love it when you make these jokes. Would you mind like dialing it back? You can say that without coming out. You could have said that without coming out. You did have other options. And so I think it's worth looking at what part of you wants to understand coming out as something other people can force you into doing when they're not actually forcing you to do it. Like, is there something you're getting out Mm. of this idea of yourself as, um, having your hand forced by like bad queer people. Um, if that's enabling you to take out a resentment on like out queer people that you don't necessarily save for straight people. Um, and again, that doesn't mean you can't find your roommate mm. interpersonally annoying. Um, just that there were other ways you could have objected to that kind of talk that did not require that disclosure. Um, so I think it's important to acknowledge you chose to come out. You did not, you were not actually forced to. You yeah, were not actually yeah. followed by a reporter. Um, nobody like splashed private pictures of you in public. Um, you right. got frustrated and you decided to come out. Um, so I, I think to remind yourself that you did have an exercise agency is really useful here. And again, that doesn't mean like let this, this person strikes me as like bad and self-righteous, just that they've worked themselves up into a real state of indignation that I think, uh, it, it is, it was, would bear reexamination. Um, especially too, because I, I think the underlying idea here is if I would like to be closeted as bisexual, I want, my expectation is that other people will treat me as a tabula rasa. I will be a sexuality blank slate. People will never uh, presume things about me. They should never discuss me as a person with a sexuality. They should always treat me as a sort of like Schrodinger's box of identity. (laughs) And again, none of that means like jokes like you're sitting on the couch that's gay or like cool or fun or defensible. Just like, I don't think that's a reasonable expectation. Like you can choose to be closeted and misunderstood. But you can't choose to be closeted and perfectly understood by everyone around you because being closeted means you cannot correct other people when they make mistaken assumptions, at least not to that degree. Um, So again, still certainly like fine to have said, I don't like it when you make those jokes, please knock it off. Um, But if you want to stay closeted, yes, people will sometimes make assumptions about your sexuality and sometimes they will be wrong. That will also happen if you're out, um, but then at least you have options. Well, that feels like a good place to wrap up with this particular advice question. So we will come back with more advice for you right after this break. And we are back. Let's take a look at one last 
post from Reddit's relationship advice. So the poster is 20 and non-binary, and they are posting about their boyfriend who is 19 and non-binary. So the post reads, unhygienic boyfriend, what do I do queers? Please help me queer people. My non-binary boyfriend and I have been dating for two months, and I keep encountering uncomfortable situations. I love him so, so, so much, but he doesn't shower much and brushes his teeth maybe three times a week. I am a really hygienic person, especially when it comes to safe sex and taking extra measures, so we are both safe and healthy, and he knows this. We are both FTNB trans mask, by which I think they be uh, assigned female at birth trans masculine, and as you all know, queer sex is something to be extra careful about, considering how undereducated we are in safe sex compared to the cishet average relationship. I've gotten into some sex-related health scares because the measures weren't hygienic on his end. How do I bring it up with him in a way that won't offend him? He keeps making excuses about hygiene, and I don't like feeling this uncomfortable constantly thinking about cleanliness in a sexual encounter rather than the actual acts. I've brought it up before a couple of times in a light and fluffy way, but I think I need to be more assertive. Our relationship is really great, and this is literally the only issue, and it seems unapproachable. All right, my hygiene friends, what do you got? <laughs> I appreciate what the poster is getting into about safe sex, and I, I think I can kind of imagine what what those specific concerns are. But I feel like this isn't really about that. Like, this is more about just basic compatibility around general hygiene. I mean, brushing your teeth three times a week. I don't want to shame anybody, but that that's just not that's not going to work um, for most relationships i mean it's not just about sex right it's about you're you're around this person all the time you're you know being affectionate probably maybe kissing like or just sharing space and like that like if this person doesn't seem open to uh to adjusting that at all um which it sounds like not that's, that seems like something you sort of choose to do rather than fall into a habit um, I just don't know if, if y'all are compatible. I hate to say that because you, you know, you say the relationship is great, but like cleanliness is, is tough. Um, a tough thing to overcome if you're not on the same page about it. And, um, yeah, I, 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 you know, I, again, I appreciate this, the sex aspect that can be serious, uh, in some cases, depending on what, what we're talking about. But, you know, I think it's more general than that. Um, what did, what did you guys think about it? Yeah, I feel a little less compunction about shaming anyone, which again is not to say okay. <laughs> I think we should throw the boyfriend in the stocks, just like you should stop doing that. Right. That's bad. That's inconsiderate. Even taking into account a number yeah. of possible yeah. reasons why it might be difficult for you to up more hygienic behavior. If you're dating someone and they keep asking you, please, for the love of God, brush your teeth, and you say no, like brush your teeth. You should feel a little bit of shame. I wasn't sure about the claim that non-binary people are less educated on safe sex when it comes to the mm. heterosexual average. I mean, mm. that's really not the point. I was just sort of like, I don't know. I think the heterosexual average is also fairly uneducated on safe sex. And I, I, I don't know. That just struck me as like an, a, a sort of odd claim. Like, I, I'm not sure that queer people are on balance less educated yeah. about sex. But I don't know. Maybe they certainly don't cover that even in the sort of bare minimum sex yeah. ed classes. So maybe it was a sort of nod to the types of sex we have don't get covered as often. Anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, my sense was this was like a frequent UTI thing right. rather than right. like a- anything else. Um, and also potentially uh, if the boyfriend is on T uh, and is experiencing bottom growth and isn't like cleaning underneath the sheath, um, dealing with some like exciting new 
growth issues, which mm, is, mm. you know, pretty unpleasant. So, but normal, you know, <laughs> you yeah, know, absolutely. That's not the thing to be ashamed of. Exactly. The thing to be ashamed of is being asked repeatedly, hey, your lack of hygiene is affecting me and like making me ill and being like, that's not my problem. Exactly. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, it's like, I don't, I, 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 my paranoid reader is sort of like, <laughs> mm, sex, like safe sex discourse probably feels like an enlightened, you know, neutral third space kind of discourse to be like, well, this, you know, your behavioral problem that is like a problem to me, you know, that is, that upsets me is actually a product of our social oppression. Yeah. And I'm just like, yeah. I'm not entirely <laughs> sure I buy that. But also, that that I understand why that might feel like a a sort of useful place to park some of those anxieties or or just like a way to ventriloquize a concern. And yeah, there's just like really no like nice way to sugarcoat a conversation being like, hey, you gotta shower and brush your teeth. You gotta scrub here and there. Um but like it's 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 okay. This is like an important, I think, communication hurdle um in a lot of relationships is like learning to be direct about those things. And actually the you know, often the fear is about not wanting to shame the other person. But I think, Danny, you just sort of uh, helped help outline the difference between shaming mm-hmm. someone being like, mm-hmm. it is, yeah. it's gross, or you are gross, because you do this, and you actually just have to couch it as an I statement. Um, you know, I, I don't like, or it's like, it's affecting me that mm-hmm. you're not showering and brushing your teeth enough, and it affects my experience of our sex life. Uh, and so I'm asking you to be more conscious about this and make more of an effort. Because I, I would, actually I think, would enjoy our intimacy so much more. Yeah, if, if like because it's like, this is a totally a solvable problem. Yeah, like it's not yeah. an insurmountable hurdle. I really think it's like, totally a thing that these two relatively young people can like work on and that if everything else is is great, like, hey, that's nice. That's a happy ending. I really feel like this is totally doable. Hygiene is very much a solvable issue. <laughs> um, it's just like getting over the uncomfortability about being direct in communication. It can just feel really weird. Uh, and, you know, you don't want to hurt the other person's feelings. But like, it tr- like, it's totally cool. You should definitely do it. Queer people say, talk to your boyfriend. Yeah. The the one comment on this is great. It's just like perhaps free yourself from the idea that you shouldn't offend a person who is dirty. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, again, like it's great. That's so yeah. elegant. Yeah. That is it's elegant. a little bit like the last post too, where it's like, is there a way that I can say this thing more uh, yeah. diplomatically so someone else doesn't get annoyed at me? And it's just like, unless you've left out something huge, it does not sound like you said you're worthless person because exactly. you don't shower enough. You've said like, please shower. I'm getting UTIs. Please wash your hands before uh-huh. we have sex. Um, and they're like, no. And you're like, gosh, is there a nicer way I can ask so that they say yes? And it's like, no, the problem is not that you're not being polite. The problem is that your partner is behaving unreasonably. Yeah. yeah and it's like, who knows how much we can make of, of one line, but the the poster does mention that they've only brought this up in a sort of light and fluffy way and that mm-hmm. they think um, they need to be more assertive. And like, so yeah, your, your gut's probably right there. If this is a, a, mo- a great moment to learn how to start feeling or practice just feeling more confident um, by being more assertive, like that's going to be great for you as well in your own growth as a person uh, and your own participation in this relationship. So it just feels like a, a nice practical um uh, hygiene problem that you know can lead to greater harmony and better sex. Who wouldn't love that? I wish that for our poster. Yeah, 
Yeah, poster the queers say it's time for the direct approach, and you can you can solve this together. We believe it. That brings us to the end of the show for this week. Uh, that was so much fun, Danny. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, we can't wait to have you back. Thank you so much for having me here. It's a delight to get to, you know, extol the virtues of a little bit of shame. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Going forward, this will be a shame-focused podcast. So everybody get ready for that. So as we said up top, we'd like to do this a lot more often. So please send us questions so we can stop stealing from reddit we'd love to have the questions directly from you guys you can send them to our podcast at slate.com again voice memos would be great but emails are also fine you can also still just send us feedback and topic ideas for our other episodes at outwardpodcast.com or on facebook or x at slate outward just a reminder as always that by joining slate plus you will get ad free podcasts extra segments on shows like working and you'll never hit a paywall on the slate site to learn more about that run over to slate.com slash Outward Plus. Our show is produced by Palace Shaw. If you like Outward, please subscribe in your podcast app. Tell your friends about it. Tell your family about it. Tell everybody you're seeing over the holidays about it. Rate and review with all of them together so that everybody can join in on our fun. Until next time, bye, y'all. Bye. See ya. Bye. Stay gay, everyone. <laughs>